This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate Scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers. Hey, let me give you a fair warning. Today's episode of the One Verse Podcast might be the strangest one yet. We're going to be talking about piles of bunnies and mountains of spiders, and what both of these things have to do with Genesis 1, verses 11 and 12. So, (laughs) if you want to hear something that you've never heard before, well, probably never heard before, stay tuned. And hey, just like every episode of the One Verse Podcast, this episode is brought to you by Logos Bible Software. You can use my coupon code jmyers6 over at logos.com and receive 15% off any one of their purchases, their uh, any one of their packages, I should say. Uh, one of their gold or silver, platinums, maybe even the starter package, pastor package. If you're an Anglican, I saw they recently just came out with the Anglican package. I guess that features Anglican scholars and pastors and teachers. So that might interest you, if you're Anglican. (laughs) Hey, I got a lot to cover today. Last week I went almost 40 minutes. I'm not going to do that today. So let's get down to business here and take a look at Genesis 1, 11 and 12. Okay, so Genesis 1, 11 and 12 continues to look at the third day of creation. And we've already looked at day three of creation in Genesis 1, 9 and Genesis 1, 10, the episodes on those. But uh, this third day of creation isn't over yet. And in my reading of these verses, uh, I got I to gotta tell you, I, I came across some challenging ideas this week in my study, uh, and specifically regarding death. In God's creation. And I'm going to share these ideas with you today. I have never encountered them before, so they are relatively new to me. So basically, I want you to know that what I'm sharing with you today, I am inviting you to provide me some feedback. I want to know what you think. Uh, the primary place I found this, by the way, is from a book by John Walton that I read this w- this week. He is one was one of my professors when I was at Moody Bible Institute. He now teaches at Wheaton. And uh, the book is called The Lost World of Genesis 1. There is a link in the show notes. So, so this, this idea didn't come to me just out of the blue or anywhere. Uh, John Walton is a leading Old Testament scholar uh, and has been for many decades now. So uh, this idea I found in his book, and I'm elaborating on it a little bit more, but uh, I just wanted to share this idea with you and get some of your feedback on it. Now, I also want to say that uh, last week's episode was long. I'm trying to make this episode and future episodes shorter. And what that means is that sometimes I'm going to just cut stuff out of what I intended to say. Like today, uh, I had way more prepared than what I'm going to be able to fit into the episode today. But I don't want you to miss out. So what I'm going to do is include it in the transcript when I eventually post these on my website. So if you read my blog... Uh, you can get my blog post there. You go to the show notes. Today's show notes can be found at redeeminggod.com slash Genesis 1, 11 and 12. 
And uh, you can eventually, when I put the transcripts of these episodes up there, there will be more in the transcript than what I'm saying in the podcast, because I want to try and keep these on the shorter side. So I'm going to share just some of the main features of my study, and then uh, everything else will be there. Bottom line is, though, I want you to go there and leave some comments, because also in the future, I'm going to have a comment and answer episode where I will read some of the comments and questions and concerns and maybe even criticisms that you have of what I'm saying on this podcast, and maybe try to respond briefly. So we'll devote a whole entire episode to your questions and your comments uh, that you leave on the blog. So so, so after you're here today, if you have uh, ideas on, on this whole concept of death in Genesis 1, then uh, maybe I will respond to it in this future episode. So anyway, as we look at Genesis 1, 11, and 12, the first thing that you need to be aware of is that there are some debate among Bible scholars as to whether uh, there are two, or actually three, or two, or one types of plants mentioned here. Let me read the text for you. It says this, uh, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its sign, or kind, whose seed is in itself, on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. All right, so uh, in the surface reading of the text, it seems to me that there are three types of plants there, this, this grass, the herb, and the fruit tree. But a lot of scholars think that there may only be two kinds, and I've even read a couple of scholars who think there is only one kind. So just depending on how the Hebrew words are and looking at these Hebrew words elsewhere. And then also when you compare day three with the parallel day in the creation account over in day six, remember there's these parallel days, day one with day day four, day two with day five, and then day three with day six. And so on day six is the day when God creates the animals. And then of course he creates mankind. He creates Adam on that day also. Anyway, when he creates Adam, he gives Adam two types of food to eat. And the two types are these uh, two of the types, the herbs with the seed and the trees with the seed that are in them. And so in my opinion, it's sort of, I sort of side with this uh, view where there are two kinds of plants, two kinds of vegetation produced here. And as sort of the the theme uh, and all the way through Genesis, we, we see this because the focus here is on what is good for mankind. And we don't eat the grass of the field, so uh, but we do eat herbs and leafy vegetables and things like that. And then we also eat fruit tree, the fruit from uh, fruit trees. And uh, here at the end of the verse, end of verse twelve, God saw that He'd made that it was good, and that means it's good for mankind. So uh, what the focus here on, is on here in these verses is on the vegetation, on things that God made for mankind to eat. And we see that sort of by going over there and looking at the parallel. So that word grass there really doesn't mean grass; it means green things or vegetation, something like that. So it was sort of a a category of the two types of things that God, vegetation-type things that God made for mankind to eat. Now, the other thing I want you to focus on in these verses is this, this, this idea that is mentioned frequently about being made after their kind. Or, or you know, it's, it's this frequent idea that's mentioned over and over, after their kind, after their kind. The same idea, again, is mentioned over in the parallel verses over in day six, after the animals are made, and then they are introduced, they are able, God builds into them, and even into us humans, the opportunity, the responsibility even to reproduce after their kind. 
Now, uh, this phrase, after their kind, is a real uh, watershed phrase in the whole evolution-creation debate because, as you know, the evolutionists say that one kind of animal, and even maybe one kind of plant, can become another kind. So a fish can become a beaver, can become a monkey, can become a human, something like that. You know, obviously... I collapsed billions of years according to the evolutionary scheme down there into a few statements, but and it's not quite as simple as that. But the idea is that one kind of creature becomes another kind of creature. And so creationists say, no, 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 no. We don't see that ever happening. There's no fossil record of anything like that ever occurring. And we don't see it happen in life. It's not observable. It's not repeatable. And besides that, creationists say, look here in Genesis 1, the biblical text says that when God created plants here in Genesis 1, 11 and 12. And then when God creates animals over in Genesis 1, 24 and 25, they reproduce after their kind. And this supports the creationist view. I'm not going to get into that whole thing right now uh, because the primary difficulty with the creationist view, again, I am a creationist. Don't hear me wrong here. I am a creationist. I believe that everything that that exists, God created, okay? But there's a major, major problem with the creationist understanding of these texts saying that the animals reproduced after their kind, just like the plants reproduce after their kind. And and here's here's the problem. People who hold the traditional creationist view believe that death did not enter the world until after Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3. And God tells them, you know, they eat of the fruit of, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and, and God tells them, you will, you, you're going to die, you will die, and then they do. Death comes, and, and Paul says in Romans 5 that, that death entered the world because of sin, and so on, that, you know, because all have sinned, all died, and all this sort of thing, okay? So, so uh, there, there's, there's good basis for this belief that death enters the world as a result of sin. And and the further belief is that this death that entered the world because of human sin did not just affect humans, but affected all of creation, the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom as well. You probably heard these arguments before. But just pause and consider the ramifications of this for just for a moment. The Bible says right here in Genesis 1, 11 and 12, that God put plants on the earth with their seeds in them, Uh, and fruit trees with their seeds. But many seeding plants grow, uh, produce their seeds, and then die, giving room for the seeds to sprout on their own. I mean, that's how plant growth works. You understand that. We've all... We've all planted things, seen it grow, seen it die, and before it dies, it produces more seeds so that a future generation of plants can also grow. Think about that cycle of growth, of life, growth, and and, and seed production, and death, so that a future generation of plants can grow. If there was not death prior to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, ask yourself, how is it possible that God could create plants to have seeds produced from them when the plants do not die? Now, again, if we say that all the plants were, were sort of like trees, you know, trees, they, they can produce seeds uh, without dying. Eventually, the tree dies, of course, but, but uh, a tree does not die every year when it produces apples or peaches or whatever. 
um, it, it just produces seeds and then they drop. But, but think about even that for a second. What happens when an apple or a peach drops off of a tree? Well, it sits there on the ground, and I have an apple tree in my yard, and we don't eat the apples. They're all filled with worms, and they're sour and bitter. But, but I watch these apples, and they rot, and they just turn into lumps of, of brown mush. Okay, why is that? Well, because of death and decay. But if there is no death, if there is no decay, then the apple or the peach that falls from the tree, it's just going to sit there on the ground, and it will never be able to, the seed that is inside the fruit will never be able to enter into the ground, will never have a chance to germinate and grow into a new tree. There has to be some sort of death and decay for the apple or for the peach that falls from the tree in order to be planted. I mean, Jesus himself backs up this idea. He says in John 12, 24, that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. In other words, the seed must die to produce more fruit. So tell me, how could it be for there to be no death before the fall of Adam and Eve, yet still have the process which Jesus describes, and which uh, we all know to be true, and which is described here in Genesis 1, 11, and 12, this process of seeds, uh, having the seeds in themselves, of the seeds falling to the ground and dying so that they can grow and produce more fruit. How can that happen if there's no death? You might say, oh, well, Jeremy, you've got to understand. Uh, there's a difference between plant death and animal death. And, and you know what? I agree with that. There is a there is a difference. You know, we could maybe have plant de- death without uh, animal death. Um, but uh, y- y- in order to argue that, you have to concede that there was at least a type of death before Adam and Eve sinned, plant death, right? At least that we have to concede that there was plant death. But but just consider animal death for a moment, just just for a second. Think about the situation Adam and Eve would have faced if no animal ever died. In the world which God created, all right? And here's where we get into rabbits and spiders that I teased you with at the beginning, all right? Just take rabbits as an example. Think of how exponentially fast rabbits reproduce. They're famous for it, reproducing like rabbits, okay? Um, if that was the case and no rabbit ever died, think of what happens. It would not be too long in God's creation before Adam and Eve are swimming in a sea of rabbits. They're buried under hills of rabbits, Right? And that's just the rabbits. It's not to mention all the deer and the moose and the, the, the cows and, and goats and, and sheep and everything else that would have reproduced but never died. Every single year, there would be hundreds. They would double in, in their amount. I mean, just eventually the world would be covered in, in meters and meters, yards and yards, hundreds of miles eventually of animals who kept on reproducing and never dying. And of course, there's not enough vegetation on the world to sustain that sort of animal growth. Not only that, think about insects, or think about spiders and ants, for example. If insects and spiders and ants never died, some of these things, they lay millions of eggs a year. And, and, And the reason they do that is because most of these, a vast majority of those eggs, never make it to birth even. And of those, of those eggs that do birth, a vast majority of those never even make it into become an adult insect, an adult spider, adult, adult ant, whatever. But that wouldn't be the case in a creation uh, situation where nothing ever died. An ant or a spider or some sort of bug would lay millions of eggs and every single one of them would hatch because nothing dies. 
And then the next year, every one of those millions of spiders, millions of ants, whatever, would also lay millions of eggs or tens of thousands or hundreds. I don't know how many they are. And all of them would hatch. Again, it wouldn't be too long in a creation where nothing ever died for Adam and Eve to be buried along with the mountains and the seas of bunnies and goats and rabbits and sheep also have mountains and mountains of spiders. Obviously, this is starting to sound like a bit like a horror movie, isn't it? Look, the only way around this that I can think of to see, the only way I see around this is uh, to say that if, if we're not going to allow death, the only way around this is to say, well, there must have been some sort of maximum population that God was going to allow on the earth. You know, there can only be, you know, 10 million spiders and, and, and 5 million rabbits and, and whatever. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, the numbers would be much higher than that. But, but there are only way, if, God, if there was no death before the fall, the only way that this would, this would have worked is for God to have limited how many sheep and animals and spiders and people there could be on the earth. But think about what happens then in that case. If that's the case, it would not have taken very long at all for that maximum number of animals and sheep and goats and rabbits and people to be reached because there's no death. It would have only taken a couple of generations. In which case, this statement that God makes here in Genesis 1, 11, and 12, and then later in verses 24 and 25 about plants and animals reproducing after their kind, that only would have been true for the first couple of generations, and then it would not have ever been true for any future generation ever for the rest of history. In other words, God's description here of plants and animals having seed and reproducing after their kind, it wouldn't be true for most of history. It would be impossible for most of history. And so these verses then would make no sense. They would be nonsense. They would be even gibberish for future generations. What is this reproduction thing? Nobody does that today. I don't know. It must be a mystery. It must be, you know, oh, well, way back when we had the ability. What? That doesn't make any sense. And then all those people, those future people, they wouldn't be able to have children. And we know that children's important. Okay, you just start to think about this and realize how impossible it is for this to really happen. So clearly, if there's going to be plants and trees that have seed in them and reproduce after their kind. And if there's going to be animals and bunny rabbits and spiders and people who have seeds in themselves and they are able to reproduce after their kind, somehow there has to be death in the world before Adam and Eve sinned. Now, again, I know what you're thinking. I mentioned it before. You're thinking of Romans 5. Where Paul says that death entered the world through sin. It's Romans 5.12. You can go look it up yourself. But if you do, and you look carefully at what Paul is saying there, he's, he's only saying, he's only saying that death came to humans through sin. He says that through sin, death spread to all people because all people sinned. Okay? He is not saying that death itself was not in the world at all. It was not part of God's creation. Now, now, we'll talk about this concept more when we get to Genesis 3, when, the, when, when we get there. Now, here's the thing, though. What am I saying with this rabbit trail? I should probably call it a bunny trail, <laughs> uh, about the, the, the death of seeds, the death of plants in creation. Why did I go down this weird trail? Here's what I'm saying. I've said it in every episode. We run into serious problems when we try to read Genesis 1 scientifically. <laughs> This whole weird thing about bunnies and rabbits and spiders, okay, and death, it's, you know, I don't know where that question comes from. It comes from trying to read Genesis 1 scientifically, and this is not science. Genesis 1 is not science. 
Trying to read Genesis 1 through a scientific grid only creates huge problems for you, that like, like piles of bunnies and mountains of spiders. When Moses wrote this text, he's not thinking about science, and so if we try to read it with thinking about science, then we are not reading it the way Moses intended it to be written. We are not reading it literally. To try to read Genesis 1 scientifically is to read Genesis 1 incorrectly. Scientific reading of Genesis 1 is not a literal reading of Genesis 1. It's not even the best reading or a correct reading. It is not the, what Moses had in mind. It is not what his original audience would have heard. It is not what God intended. What is the best way? Well, again, I've talked about it before. We must read it theologically. We, we must read this story as the literary masterpiece that it is. All right, so what is it that Moses was teaching theologically? when he wrote about the plants and the trees producing seed after their kind. (laughs) Well, guess what? This episode's already long enough, and we're going to have to pick up with that question in the next episode. We're going to take a second look at verses 11 and 12. Yeah, you thought I was going to get two verses in on one episode, but no, I'm going to cover two verses in two episodes, and actually we'll be looking at verse 13 next time as well, hopefully. Uh, And we'll see what Moses was really saying theologically in this text to the Hebrew Hebrew people of his day. So just to close out today, uh, here's what I want to say. I want to return once again to that statement from Jesus in John 12, that unless a grain of seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. He goes on to say that, but if it dies, it produces much grain. Obviously, Jesus was talking about himself, but I think the principle that he's teaching there, the principle that was inherent and built into creation before sin ever entered the scene, that principle is going to help you and me in our lives. We've seen today this cycle of seeds falling to the ground and dying. It was built into creation by God, a form of death, a cycle of death built into creation before sin ever entered the world. Now, while sin did bring death to humanity, and I don't think God ever intended humans to die, I think that it is helpful for us, it's helpful for you, it's helpful for me to remember that when we face troubles and trials and seasons of death, maybe we could call them, in our own life, it's not always because of sin. When we think that bad things happen in this world always and only because of sin, it's sort of a defeatist mentality. We think that God is punishing us, or when bad things happen to us, well, because I must have sinned, and that's not always true. When you feel like a certain part of your life is falling to the ground and dying, just remember, this isn't God punishing you for sin. Uh, Instead, view this time in your life as as though God is bringing you into another season of life. Uh, You've experienced a time of growth in the summer, and now you're entering a period of autumn in the fall. The leaves fall to the ground, the, the, the leaves wither and die. But this is necessary if you're going to enter into that new stage of growth and vitality in your relationship with God. I like to think that our lives as followers of Jesus, they have seasons. 
just like this world that God created has seasons. And just as this world cannot always be in the spring, so also your life, my life, we can't always live in the spring. We like the spring. The rains and the beautiful sunshine, we like the summer. Lazy days of summer, right? Basking in the sun, but it can't always be that way. You need to enter into the harvest time when the fruit is ready to be picked. And then the plants wither and fade and die. And that's so that you can have a period of rest in the winter when everything seems barren and dead and and empty. But when you're there, enjoy it because you know, you know that spring is coming. You have to go through the cold and the dark and the dreary winter. It's it's a period of solidifying God's work in your life. It's a period of when God is, is maturing you in what you learned through the spring and the summer and the fall. It's a season of rest. So look, don't be discouraged if you look around in your life and it seems like God is absent, that prayers go unanswered, that the Bible seems dead, that all your Christian relationships seeming to wither and fade away. Remember, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. God will bring you through another season of light, warmth, and fruitfulness. But you first must endure that season of falling to the ground and dying. It's not because of sin. That's because God. that's the way God made life, even from the very, very beginning. Only then... Can you bring forth grass? Can the plants yield seeds? And the trees yield fruit? It's the way God made it, not just in creation, but in our lives as well. So that wasn't too bad, was it? I don't know if you've ever heard that idea about there being death prior to the fall, to the sin of Adam and Eve, at least maybe death in the plant realm, maybe death in the animal realm as well. I'd be curious to know what you think about that. Leave a comment in the show notes. That's at redeeminggod.com slash Genesis 1, 11 through 12. And hey, you know, I would also appreciate a review over at iTunes. Just go to iTunes and click the leave a review button. I read every one. I appreciate it, those who, who leave it. And, and then uh, that helps other people find the podcast as well. But you know the one thing you could really do to help other people find the podcast? If you are appreciating this podcast, can I ask you to do one thing for me this week? Uh, send out a Twitter, a tweet, share it on Facebook, uh, or, or send an email to somebody. Say, hey, I'm listening to this podcast. I think you might like it. I think it might challenge your thinking a little bit. That's probably the best thing you could do to help other people find this podcast. If you're learning something... Uh, and uh, you think that they could learn something as well. So anyway, thanks for listening. I look forward to seeing your comments on this whole idea about death before the fall. And then next time we're going to look at these verses again and see what Moses was really teaching theologically as he was teaching the Hebrews and preparing them to enter into the promised land that God had given to them. Looking forward to seeing you then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.